Hi, everyone. We're so lucky today to have three of my favorite people that we're going to be speaking with. Number one, I have a guest host joining me. His name is Jorge Ortega. He runs the Guilford County Animal Care and Control in North Carolina, and he has been a guest on our show before. And Jorge, uh, as the guest host, gets to interview Kristen Auerbach from FEMA Animal Care Adoption Center and uh, National Animal Care and Control Association and American Pets Alive Executive Committee and Haas Superstar. And I have, did I get everything, Kristen? And then we have um, another one of our favorite people, Dr. Ellen Jefferson with American Pets Alive. So you guys, it's so good to see you. It's been, it feels like it's been years, but it's probably only been a few months, but we were seeing each other every single day during COVID. So it's just so nice to see your faces. So good to see yours. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, and we're still smiling, right? That's a good thing. That's the positive thing. We're still smiling. It is. All right. So Jorge, I'm handing the reins over to you. All right. Awesome. So, so we're going to start this off in a, in a, in a different way. I know we're here to talk about Haas, but. If you could have one superpower, what would it be and why? Um, I think that I would choose being invisible because uh, you can get so much done when people don't notice that you're around. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. All right, so there's something new happening in animal sheltering. It's known as the Human Animal Support Services. And pretty much wanted to ask both of you, and, and we can start with, you know, Dr. Jefferson, is what led you to create Haas? Well, um, that's a really good question. Uh, I think that we really were looking around at what the, um, what was happening with COVID, and we knew that shelters couldn't operate the way that they have in the past, because you can't have so many animals in one spot, and and then us have so many people in one spot. There's only what, one way to take in a ton of animals and not house them like we used to, and that's probably through euthanasia, um, if you have a very high volume shelter. So I think what we're seeing is that if shelters wanna maintain a life-saving um, rate that they feel is acceptable and also um, not spread COVID to people, then something has to change dramatically about the operational model of intake. The second reason is that we know with all the evictions that are going to be happening around the country and people losing their jobs, and then pairing that with the reasons why people surrender their animals to shelters, and we know that those top three reasons are money, housing, money. And so if that is, um, if that's all coming to a head in the very near future, intake is going to explode and shelters are not going to be able to maintain anything that we've been doing well in the past because we'll be completely overwhelmed. And then um, the third reason is that as we're recognizing through a lot of the, um, a lot of what's happened with COVID, a lot of what's happened with the reimagining the police and the George Floyd murder, where we're recognizing that animal control is part of law enforcement and there's some really foundational issues that we need to address and now is the time to address them and really think about what what is the type of animal services that we would be imagining for the future if we have the opportunity 
turns out we have the opportunity. So let's do it and figure out what we, what we as an industry really want to build. If we were in charge of building this 120 years ago, what would we have done? And um, I think it's super exciting. And what we're finding is a lot of people have that same wish and desire. And um, American Pets Alive and the Haas Project is just here to help be the glue to help everybody come together and um, have the discussions that are needed and propel it forward. So we saw it as an opportunity to just um, help. Kristen, anything you'd like to add? On? Yeah, so I, I have had the, the benefit and I've been really lucky for the last about nine years to be working in some of really the top life-saving shelters in the country. And I've come to learn so much from that and see what's possible. And even though these are really wonderful shelters where animals get enrichment and love and care and medical care, they are also places where you see some of the saddest, most unnecessary things happening on a daily basis. So every single day of my life, I see someone sitting in our intake lobby with crumpled over crying because they've had to give up their pet and couldn't keep it um, because we weren't able to help them. Um, Every day I see animals that came in healthy and even though we have a state-of-the-art facility, they're coming in and they're getting sick because they're in kennels. Um, Pre-COVID, our shelter had a thousand or more animals we, at a time. We take in 19,000 animals a year. And then time and time again, on almost a daily basis, you see healthy adult animals, cats, dogs, and other animals coming in and they're lovely and they came in with two of their friends that they were found walking with and within just days to weeks, you see the stress of confinement and the fear of what that experience is for them. And you just watch them deteriorate in front of your eyes. And it has struck me even just before COVID, I was really thinking a lot about how almost everything that we do for animals requires separating them from their homes, communities and families in order to help them. Almost except in the very, very best shelters and the shelters that really have put a lot into outreach and pet support. And, and they're just sort of dipping their toe in the water. Most of us, if we're going to help an animal, we have to take it away from its, from its family and its home. And, and that's not ethical. It's not moral and it's not necessary. And it results in so many healthy, lovely animals ending up in our shelters for no reason, not getting back home. And it's, it's long past time that we make a, a, a fundamental shift in this movement that there will always be animals that need to come into our shelter, but the only animals that should be in the shelter are the ones that truly need to be in the shelter. Awesome. So I understand there is a coalition of more than about 30 pilot animal organizations working together to transform this traditional sheltering system that we've had Tell us a little bit more about these organizations and kind of what their roles are going to be within Haas. And Dr. Jefferson. Okay, great. Well, um, as you know, your organization is one of those. Um, yes. Kristen's yeah. too. And uh, we're so excited about that. The, the groups that um, have come to the table as pilot organizations are organizations that are really committed to this this idea that we can change and we can change quickly in the next 12 months hopefully we can change from being very internal facing to external public facing services and um, and so we have a commitment from those shelters a commitment to each other to help each other to move from 
where we were before to where we want to be in the future and do that as a collective that um, works through problems together, helps to um, brainstorm together, share practices, share protocols. Just, I think we're going to be able to ignite that, um, that uh, lightning rod that's gonna go to the future by having these, these groups work together. I think it's pretty unprecedented to have this large of a number of shelters really work on something this big of a project. And um, the excitement is really probable. Like, things are happening and people are making changes. And um, like I said, we're just here as the glue. We're not actually, um, you know, we're not saying here's a protocol you should do. It's everybody helping each other and um, it's super exciting. So I, I think what we're seeing is um, the commitment from those groups is helping other people make even more commitment. People are being added to that group every day. And on top of that, those 30-ish groups of people groups of organizations are also using their staff and volunteers and staff and volunteers from other communities. Um, so kind of creating a spider web of working groups that are tackling really hard subjects and trying to find solutions so that the shelter directors that are trying to implement the whole thing don't have to do it all themselves. So um, like this morning, we were on a working group call for um, turning the, the shelter clinic into a foster clinic. And that's actually a lot harder than it sounds because we're not, as shelter people, we're not used to the customer service aspect of every animal having a person deeply attached to them when they walk in the door during their care and when they leave. And it's just a completely different setup. So um, so anyway, it's really exciting. We've got a lot of contributions coming from, from everybody. No. Yeah, no, as, as, as an organization that's participating as a tier one shelter, I mean, we are excited. Our animal advisory committee had a meeting last Thursday. Um, they are excited and I was a little nervous presenting this. And so it's been um, baby steps on the presentation of us participating as a tier one shelter. Um, but the excitement coming back and the feedback coming back is all positive and not just from in-house, it's from outside. Um, so from county management and to especially our animal advisory board, because we know um, how, how touchy sometimes those, those type of boards can be. Um, so it's been really exciting for us. Um, I'm, 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 I'm there, I'm there. So Kristen, what makes the Haas project different from other movements? I mean, we have Pets for Life, we have No Kill, we have um, the conscious animal, socially conscious sheltering. What, what makes Haas project stand out? Well, I think that, you know, Haas is a different kind of movement for a different moment in our history. And, um, and so Haas is a, is a call to action now to say that we have to make a break from the past. We've learned a lot of lessons in, from the past in our movement. And we've come so far. We were just talking yesterday about how, you know, as a nation, we've gone from euthanizing 20 million animals a year to maybe 2 million. Um, and so we've really come quite far, but we, we have never gotten over this, this foundational part of our history, which is that animal shelters were built to round up animals from the community and to dispose of them. And we've never really gotten past that, even though we've built incredible programs on, on top of that foundation. That foundation has always, it has remained consistent. Um, and so a, a lot of shelters today have made such strides. They have comprehensive outreach services. They do tons of spay and neuter. They um, have really um, 
significantly larger foster firms than they had even a couple of years ago. But we haven't been able to invest the time and energy into really pulling apart why animals are entering the system and why they're staying in the system. And so Haas aims to ask those two questions and to really tease apart um, the really complicated reasons that so many animals enter our shelter. This is not a simple project. This is probably a decade of work. Um, we are just in the early stages, but the reason that animals enter shelters is as complicated as the lives of the people who love and care for them. Um, it's not, it's never simple. It's never just because someone's struggling to find housing or just because someone can't pay them out. Um, at best, we can easily solve problems like that. But people have complex lives. And so Haas is a, um, it's really embarking on a journey to, to kind of take apart where, to go back to where we all started and to say, what if things had looked different? What if instead of saying animals don't belong in our communities and they need to be removed when things aren't perfect, what if we ask different questions? And so we're turning out, we're really looking outside of just animal welfare. We're looking to international models of animal welfare. There's a whole school of dog population management that um, is, is actually more prevalent in, in most countries than um, the US model of sheltering is rather unique. Um, relative to other countries. So we're looking at that. We're looking at public health. Um, we're looking at social work. Uh, how are people caring for human foster children? So all of these, I think what the real benefit to the Haas pilot shelters and anyone who's piloting these programs is they have all of this expertise we've never had before. We've been a, a, a remarkably insular movement and this is going to change all of that so that anyone who's involved as a pilot or just a shelter that says we want to do these programs they're going to have the benefit of this vast amount of knowledge that we've learned about human welfare, um, other approaches to animal management. And that's what's really exciting about it. And, and one thing that makes it quite different. Dr. Jefferson, do you want to add anything? Yeah, I think that Kristen's exactly right, that this is an opportunity to really um, dismantle and rebuild the, the way we operate completely. Um, and I think, you know, our organization at Austin Pets Live has been very involved in the no-kill movement. And that is very much about trying to fix problems almost at the end of the cycle of the animals coming in and everything that's happening out in the community. And so it, it is um, innovating additions to the old system. And really what Haas is, is taking it all apart and putting the Legos back together in a completely, hopefully, a completely different way that is based on data, it's based on um, human, human welfare, it's based on DEI. We have these concepts that just have never, we've never been able to fully integrate because we've never had an opportunity to kind of take it all apart and look at it this way. And COVID really has given us that opportunity. It's not Haas that did that. COVID did that by allowing shelters to have the space to think and to really, I mean, to have the luxury of reimagining. Right. You know, and I, and I can speak for my own personal experience, you know, working with county government. Um, we have a lot of these resources already at hand. You know, we have child protective services. We have social services. Um, we even have the Family Justice Center, um, which is a unique model where, you know, it's all services just in one central location for those um, individuals, you know, that are victims of, of domestic violence and so forth. So, so I am taking advantage of, of what we're doing with the Haas project and just bringing in those other directors in 
because these resources are already at my reach. Um, but doing all that, it takes work. And, and what would you tell those organizations that are like, I'm not going to do all this. I, this is just way too hard. This is just way too much work. I mean, what, what would you tell that director, that, that CEO of, you know, this is, this is something that needs to be done. What, how, would you, how would you encourage them to, to just think differently? Dr. Jefferson. Um, I, I would say that um, there's power in numbers and there's power in the numbers of people that surround you. You just mentioned having people come together from different departments and have enthusiasm around this project. Um, I, in the 20 years I've been working in animal welfare and animal sheltering, I have never seen any kind of any enthusiasm that is as big as this across the board, whether you're talking to elected officials or you're talking to other government departments, you're talking to nonprofits, you're talking to government funded shelters and the staff all the way from the frontline staff to the director level. And so I think that's where you get the energy and that's where you get the um, momentum is from each other and dividing and conquering and trying to make the changes that you can make right now while there's a little bit of space to do it and, and then build upon that. Um, I, I, I think that it's hard when you look at the whole picture and you say, oh my gosh, we have to change everything we're doing, then yeah, it's pretty daunting. But if you start trying to just take apart the pieces and, and think about it, either one program at a time or one obstacle at a time or um, one zip code at a time, then it becomes a little bit more manageable. Kristen? Yeah. I think that what Dr. Jefferson said is is so true because what we're doing is is creating the support system that didn't exist to do that. And I I mean we we are both of us are in very very high volume organizations. We're both in reactive mode a hundred percent of the time, um, and we are. This has been the first time we've really had the dedicated time to just step back and say, what do we need to do? And that's true for a lot of shelter leaders right now. Um, shelter leaders do have the time in this moment to say, how do we do this differently? And they want to be doing that work. And so I don't know if this feels so hard to people. It might feel daunting, but it feels, um, it feels exciting and overwhelming. And the number of people that have told us they can't sleep at night because they're so excited. Um, we share that once a day because everybody's brains are coming together and all these old, you know, all these old arguments that we used to have, which were really valid arguments, they often got personalized and that personalization could be something that held back conversations that really needed to happen. And now the movement is diving in and having all the hard conversations and that's generative and energizing. And that's what we see is that people, even though we're all exhausted day to day, we're all energized, we're all excited and we're all like ready to work together and do this. So um, it is going to be hard, but nothing's harder than what we've been doing. I mean, what we've been doing is emotionally devastating for our staff. It's it's hard on us. It wear these careers wear people out. There's a reason that shelters can't find directors. People don't want to do that old job. They want to do a new job that's better and that actually solves problems, isn't just a hamster wheel of reacting. So um we're, we're really excited and, and, uh, and we're going to, you know, we're being carried. I think Dr. Jefferson and I are being carried along by hundreds of people who are on these working groups. All of these leaders who have been so smart are now all talking to each other and it's, it's pretty amazing. Well, I can't pick up your enthusiasm as you're saying that, by the way, because 
I can I, I can almost live it. I mean, I know this is just getting started, but it's so exciting just to be a part of it. Um, and I'm looking forward to this just growing. So Haas becoming successful in the future, in your opinion, what does animal services look like? You know, Kristen. Um, so it animal services becomes a way of serving animals and people in our community. So it becomes more like parks. It becomes more like social services. Um, it becomes more like school and that it's a, it is a disseminated model where the community can, anyone in the community that wants to help can help. Everyone plays a picture. The community generates the solution. So they come up with the solutions and they tell us what they need and want and make those things happen. And we really start to think about how can we, how can we serve most animals without them having to live in the institution of the shelter. There is a real, when we first started talking about this, there was a huge amount of pushback. People said, you don't want to help animals and you want to leave animals out. And, 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 and in fact, you know, that was, that was really the only criticism was you don't want to help them. And the opposite is true. Those of us who are living this life know that the best way to help most animals is to keep them out because of the things that I talked about earlier. And so this is more services for the community and it's a changing of community culture. Uh, I met with my team today and we, when we started with COVID, our intake is about half of what it was last year um, because all the new programs. And when we started, they said, you know, the first two months were really hard. We had to change the community culture and people didn't really understand that they could help hold a stray dog, that they could keep those kittens and foster them. And they said, but you know, it took about two months, but the community's really got it. It's really striking to me because it's taking us a lot longer to change as a culture. We, in many ways, are the holdouts. The community's ready for a change too. This is going to be a lot easier than we think because it makes sense to non-animal people. Not animal people have been the biggest barriers to this happening. And now that we're on board, the community is going to jump on board. Dr. Jefferson, anything to add? Yes. Um, I would just add that I think uh, as we're thinking about ways to measure the success at the end of the project, uh, in my mind, it's all about being able to um, show that there's an intention behind everything we do. Um, that our work is very intentional. And I think that in the past, we're, we're, we've said it a few times, we're very reactionary. And so we're not, we're not intentionally um, making what we want to have happen, happen. And I think the way we do that is by understanding the data. We understand what people need. We understand what people want. We understand what the animals need. We understand um, how our teams function to serve those needs. And we're able to measure it. So I, I would see that we're that we can look back and in just one community, we can look back and say, okay, we asked, we asked everybody in this neighborhood, we asked the people involved in these organizations, we asked the people that um, are helping different sectors of our community, and we know that this is what they need, and we're delivering that. We're, we're delivering it. We're 100% spot on by delivering it. And so I think that that's much more complicated than just an intake number or a live release number. But I think that's that's where we should be going. This this industry is desperate, desperately in need of 
um, of that intentional focus. And we haven't had the ability to really do that because of infighting and because of the rat race. And, you know, um, now we can, we can, we can really think about, about it. I mean, I was talking yesterday, we had a working group working on government budgeting and, um, I don't know if this is true or not, but it feels like to me as a nonprofit director that government budgets are based on public outcry, the amount of public outcry, or the talking skills of the director, and not actually based on what that shelter needs to be able to save lives or serve the community. It's really fascinating, and that's got to change. We've got to get out of this sort of blind um, pr production of work and make it intentional. So I'm really excited about that. And I think we're gonna find lots of ways to measure that and to be able to keep honing as time goes on so that we're actually um, an industry that makes a lot of sense. And as Kristen said, we can find directors because it's really exciting. And, and I, I just wanna add one thing to that because we, when we talk about this, uh, Ellen and I have been talking a lot about this. And when we talk about it, we sort of tend to talk about the vision a lot. Um, and that's, people are really excited about that. But this is very practical. These are not pie in the sky um, ideas that are gonna be impossible to implement. They're pretty simple changes. Um, I'll give you one quick example from today. Our organization's been asking people to hold stray dogs when they find them. If you find a healthy, friendly stray dog, we're asking them to hold it and help us get that dog home. That's great. But what we're finding is that everyone's saying yes. So that's wonderful, but we're a high volume shelter. We take in up to 1200 or more um, dogs in a month. And so because of that, we need to reallocate a staff position to helping those people um, get those dogs home or get them rehomed without them coming to the shelter. And so we're immediately saying, okay, what would that person do? And where, where is that person not needed in the organization? Because those dogs are staying in the community. So it is very practical and it does involve reallocating your staff. Shelters can't get away with having one foster coordinator for 6,000 animals going to foster. There will have to be additional support allocated to foster care programs. Um, pet retention programs like supported self-rehoming are gonna need some additional staff support. They're also gonna need volunteer program components. So this is all grounded in solutions. And, and what, we, what we really want people to remember is that this is made by people running these places. So those of us who are doing this project are running shelters. And many of us are running pretty big, tough shelters. And so we're not building solutions that can only be done by a few. We're building solutions for everyone. And we have shelters like Cabot, Arkansas that have something like 3,000 animals and six employees, Cabot, Arkansas can implement these solutions. Um, these are really for everyone and they are based on really doing the work. So that's the last of the questions, um, but going back to you, Kristen. No, <laughs> I think that my superpower right now um, it would be to make sure that uh, every pet and person has a safe place to call home. Um, so that is what, what uh, over these next coming months with all the, all what we have weighing on us is so heavy on my mind. And if there's anything I could do for the world right now, it would be to make sure that that is true for everyone. I like that superpower. <laughs> well, Jorge, thank you. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you, Ellen. As usual, it's so great to hear you both and to hear about the great work you're continuing to do in this space. And Jorge, congratulations on being a tier one shelter. And thank, thank you. you. I'm excited. We're all excited here. So looking forward to, the, to working with everyone and uh, getting this thing rolling.
Yeah. Thanks for being my guest host today. You're welcome. Thanks for the invite. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. We will talk to everybody very soon. Bye-bye. All right. Thank, Thank you. you.